Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Be seated. Good to see you this morning. And we, uh, like I said, we're going to start a new series of messages this morning that um, I've been working on for a few months together uh, with the Lord and been praying through and seeking to find some clarity in. And, um, you know, you've heard of people uh, going through a midlife crisis. And uh, I'm, I'm not about to confess one, by the way, um, even though I'm probably at midlife, um, if the Lord lets me live to be 100. I don't know why 50 is midlife, because uh, not many of us live to 100. Uh, if it's uh, true to my family's genes, uh, I got about, uh, you know, 19 years left in me. And so uh, I don't know what will happen uh, then, but God may be gracious and let me live longer. But, you know, the thing about midlife crises is that uh, when people hit them, it has become sometimes a crisis of belief. And I think that the American church is in a place where they're in a midlife crisis. I think we are seeing some, some things in our church culture today that just um, really puzzles me. Uh, some encourage me and some worry me as we look at church culture today. Uh, according to Tom Rainer, and I do an, I do an extensive amount of reading on the church. I, uh, that's my passion. That's what God's called me to do, is to uh, to lead and to pastor and to shepherd a church. I can remember when I went to Bible college and we were sitting in a group at lunch, and uh, many of the guys were talking about what are you going to do when you graduate college. And well, I already knew what I was going to do. I mean, I was there for a distinct purpose. I knew God had called me specifically to be the under shepherd of Christ, to be a pastor. There was never any second guess. And uh, I, I bought into the lie that if you're going to be a pastor, then you have to serve somewhere on staff first as a youth guy or children's person or something like that. And so I bought into that myth. And for three and a half years at First Baptist Church of Bessemer, Alabama, I was miserable because I was not operating within the call that God had placed me in. And I knew specifically, Marina will tell you, I knew specifically today that God called me that it was not to be anything else but a pastor. And I love God's church. And I've been studying and praying and seeking God in the Word of God for years about His church. And uh, I tell you, there's times in my life where the, the burden of the church weighs heavy. And, and I'm in a season in my life where that can't be more so than any other time in my life. Uh, where I just carry a great burden for the church. Um, and as, as an under-shepherd of Christ, um, there are times when, when I'm praying and I begin to think about the church, I, I just have to become silent. And I just have to say, Lord, would you just pour into me truth? Would you just allow me to see as a, as a pastor, a shepherd, what it is that you want me to do as the leader of a church. And uh, it's a great responsibility to know that week after week after week after week, when you stand up here and you preach the word of God, that you are handling eternal things. The church is an eternal body. It's not something we do on Sundays or come to on Wednesdays. It's an eternal thing. We're, we're going to see in heaven those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ in the church together. 
What a glorious thing. But the church is in crises. Tom Rainer says 65% of churches across America, they are either declining, in other words, they're losing people and they're gaining no one, or they plateaued. That is, they reached a certain number and they're not going any further. Now, that may mean that they lose some people, but some people join occasionally. And so those numbers stay pretty consistent over a period of time, a period of, of years. And so what's happening is in our church cultures, we read, pastors read those statistics, and as church members read those statistics, and we begin to respond. And so some have responded to the trends by saying, you know, what's happened is the church has become irrelevant in the culture. And because the church is irrelevant in the culture, we have to figure out a way somehow for the church to become relevant. And so what we've done is in the church, a lot of churches have replaced the pulpit with a bar stool. Or what they have replaced is maybe a piano with a rock band. Uh, or, or what they have done is instead of a foyer, now they've got a Starbucks in the front. And, and what they've done is they said, you know, in order to be relevant to the culture, we have to find what does the culture want. And we have to adapt to that. And so what's happened is if you come into a church of that sort, they will say to you, this is what we have to offer. And if there's something that you want that's not on the menu, all you have to do is ask and the chef will make it happen. And so the church in America is struggling to find her identity on that end of the spectrum. But then there is the other end of the spectrum. There are some who look at the trends and the facts and what they say is, is that we don't care. We don't care about being relevant. We don't care about changing. The way God did it in 1940 and 1950 is the way we're going to do it. And so we're not going to change. This is God's indefinite written in stone plan. Can I just tell you that neither side of that is right? Can I tell you that God's answer for the church to be relevant is not that I preach from a bar stool. It's not that we have a Starbucks. It's not either that we just go back to a piano and organ style of worship. It's not that. That is totally a misconception on the part of us as human beings. And it's all based, listen to me, it's all based on personal preferences. And that's the problem with America today is that we have lost some of our relevance because what we have done is we have based church on what we want it to be. We have decided to make church about our personal preferences. And that's why... Churches, in all honesty, begin to fight and they begin to bicker uh, over the color of carpets or the, whether we should have pews versus chairs. Uh, and so they begin to divide themselves because they have forgotten what being relevant is all about in the culture in which we live. And we're going to talk about what is true relevance in a minute. So having read extensively and having to listen to videos and been to seminars over the 25 plus years I've been in ministry, I really have come to the conclusion that there is only one way for the church to really get it right. And that is, is that we go back to the blueprint of what God intended. That is that we, we find somewhere in the, in the lockbox of our hearts God's plan. God's blueprint for the church. And honestly, he's given us that. He's given us that in his word. 
We call it the book of Acts. And so the Acts of the Apostle is really a documentary, if you will, of what Jesus is doing in his church. And so I've entitled the series of messages simply this, Jesus Builds His Church. Because after all, that should be your heart, that should be my heart, and what we want First Baptist Church Love Plains to be is a church that God builds. But before we can really understand what Jesus is doing, we have to understand what we mean by the word church. The word church is the word ekklesia in the Greek. It is a, a word that meant called out ones. It was a secular term in society, but, but the Bible writers through the Holy Spirit of God captured that word and brought it into the New Testament. And that word was used two times by Jesus and 112 times by the New Testament writers. And that word being called out once literally means in a biblical context that it is those who are called out of the world into a personal relationship with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. And when you begin to think about the church, and you begin to think about the church is the people who are saved, those who are redeemed, those who were once walking in darkness, those who were dead in trespasses and sin, those who who were separated from God, who are now the children of God, walking in light, amen, who are alive, quickened, made alive by Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. But that's the church. It's not the brick and mortar we sit in this morning. And I know so many times we get confused. We get confused thinking this is the church, but this isn't the church. The church are the saved, the redeemed of all time. That's us. That's individuals. That's people. Amen? That's what the church really is. Now, thank God we got a building we can bring that church into, but we need to realize this is just a building. Amen? And listen, one day... It's not going to be here. It's not going to be here. All earthly things will pass. All earthly things will be gone. And so we need to understand the church is the people. Listen to what Paul has to say in Ephesians 2. He says in Ephesians 2, he says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. This is how we come into the faith. Listen, we're no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens. There's your first good word about the church. With the saints and members of the household of God. See, we're a household. He said, verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, there it is, that's us, the whole building being fitted together. Peter would say it this way, that you and I are living stones, amen? And God has brought us together into this building called the church as a living stone. And each of us fit. And we have our place in this body of Christ. And we're built on top of the foundation of the doctrine of the apostles and prophets, which is the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he himself is the chief cornerstone. He himself is the foundation of the church. And so Paul says, we are the building, he said, being fitted together. And he says, listen to this, grows into a holy temple. We are to be a holy people in the Lord and in whom you also being built together. Listen to what he says. For a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. What is the church? 
The church is the redeemed. It is the people who have been blood-bought by Jesus Christ who come into a household, who come into this temple, and we make up the temple of God by which He can dwell in us and be with us. But listen, listen. By the power of the Holy Spirit is that only possible. And so you and I are called to be the church. That's what the church is. And what I'm going to talk about is how Jesus takes that truth and Jesus begins to build his church. Because we want him to build, amen? So let's look at our text for this morning. And by the way, it's not in Acts. (laughs) We have to start from the foundation. And the foundation is found in the words of Jesus as Jesus is talking with his disciples in Matthew 16, 18. So if you would take a look at Matthew 16. We look at this text back at our character sketch studies when we preached on Peter. But I promise you'll leave with a different takeaway this morning as we begin to think about what Paul, or excuse me, what uh, Jesus is writing to us about the church. For context, we'll begin in verse 13. Then Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. And when he had asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Jesus is asking, Hey, guys. What does the crowd say about me? That would be like us saying this morning, what does the world say about Jesus? What is the world saying about our Savior? And so they, they said that in verse 14, some say John the Baptist. By that time he had been killed, right? Some Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Listen, that's the most important question you will ever be asked. Who do you say Jesus is your answer will determine your eternity and so what is your answer this morning listen to the text simon peter answered and said to him you are the christ you're the messiah you're the savior of the world he said you are the christ the son of the living god he realized jesus wasn't just flesh and blood but he was 100% God, just as much as he was 100% man. And he said, you are the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God initiates salvation. Verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros. And we preached a long, lengthy sermon about this, so we won't spend any time. But Jesus is talking about Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When you begin to think about what Jesus is saying, Jesus is telling Peter, and we looked at it lengthy already, one sermon, but the fact that Peter is not the foundation. Peter is not the foundation of the church. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. And Jesus is building his church. And I want you to understand that little phrase in there. What did Jesus say? Jesus said to us that he says, I am building my church. He says, I will, right? Verse 18, I will build my church. Now, I want you to hear that clearly. I want you to hear that distinctly. I want you to write that in your heart. I want you to to write it down in the side of your Bible that Jesus is building his church. That means point number one simply is this. I only got two points today, so hang in there. Point number one is simply this. The church belongs to Jesus. Again, when we see that word church being used and is being used by Jesus, especially in this text, you've got to understand, and in the context of what Jesus is saying, there was not yet a church. They didn't understand what a church was. This is a foreign concept. This is a new idea. 
This is something that Jesus is introducing to his disciples. And Jesus says that I will build my church, future tense. But the, but the tense of the verb in the Greek, when we use it, is not just that it's a future going to happen, but it is a certainty that it's going to happen. Jesus is making a promise here. Jesus is saying, I am going to build my church. Amen? It's a promise. If churches across America, if 65% are declining and plateaued, there must be an internal issue. What is the internal issue? Because Jesus said that a church will grow because he is going to build his church. And so what happens if our church stops growing, if it's not what, it, what God intended it to be, then the problem is not him because he promised to grow it. The problem must be with us. Amen. And I have to remind myself over and over and over again that Jesus is not building Mike's church. He's not building your church. He's building his church. Amen? And when Jesus begins to talk about building his church, one of the things we need to understand is that he is going to do that the right way. Amen? And so we ask ourselves this morning, Jesus, you're building the church. What are you doing? Well, what he's firstly saying is, I'm Lord over everything. And when Jesus is going to build, he's Lord. And we need to understand that he's the boss. You know, when you're out there building a building and you hire a general contractor, he becomes the go-to person. He becomes the boss. He becomes the person that everybody needs to go to because he's the one that's on the job every day. He's the one going behind the AC guy. He's the one going behind the flooring. He's the one that's supposed to be going behind the paint guy. He's the one supposed to be going over after everything, right? Make sure it's done. And if you hire a general contractor, he's going to be paid a lot of money. But let me tell you something. He's going to make sure the job is done right. Amen? Jesus is the general contractor over his church. He's the sovereign king of the universe. And he wants his church to be run according to the blueprints he established for us in the Bible. And so Acts chapter 20 verse 28 tells us that he's Lord. And the reason why he's Lord is because we were bought with him. Notice in Acts 20, 28, therefore take heed to yourselves and to the flock. Paul writing to the elders and he says, among which, he says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. Listen to what he says. The church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So you didn't die for this church. I didn't die for this church. Jesus did. And Jesus shed his blood that he would form us together and bring us into a place that he would call his very own. That he would say, we are his body. We are his people. He redeemed us out of the world and called us together to form a local church. And so when we talk about church this morning and we talk about church over the next few weeks, there is this term by which we mean it universally. It's all the church of all the world. But there is a term by which we mean it locally. In the Bible, there were times when God talked about the word, in the word, the church universal, what God is doing in the churches. But then there was very distinct messages to particular churches, right? And so we mean that today. When we begin to talk about the church, one of the things I keep saying over and over again is reminding myself it's not mine because sometimes the burden gets heavy and you think, Lord, I got to carry this church. No, I don't. It's his church. I don't have to carry it. Amen? I can release that burden because it's his. It's not mine. What happens here is his. Amen? If it grows, it's his. If it doesn't grow, maybe I'm the fault and I need to get out of the way and let him do what he's got to do. Amen? 
But I think about so many times in church, the reason why we quit growing is because we forget that it's his church. And we're like this one church that I went into years ago. I went into this one church years ago. And when I went into this church, every pew had a nameplate on the pew at the end of the church. Every window had a name in the window. The communion table even had a name of a family that bought the communion table. The pulpit even had a, had a plate, and it was prominently displayed on the front of the pulpit who bought the pulpit. And let me tell you, the people had forgotten that the church was not theirs. And on one particular Sunday, I had some visitors that came, and at the end of the service, we had a very candid talk, and they said, we won't be back. I said, well, why won't you be back? I don't understand. They said, well, we were sitting down towards the front, and uh, we had a lady came up to us and told us to move, that we were in her seat. And she pointed to the plaque on the pew to prove that her name was on it. I'm going to tell you something. I wanted to go stomp a hole in her because that's not how God's people ought to act. Amen? Because if you donate something to this church, can I just be honest and frank with you? Once it exchanges the threshold of the church, it don't belong to you no more. It belongs to Jesus. Amen? When we talk about our budget, it belongs to Jesus. The offering plate that went by, it now belongs to Jesus. Don't be like a deacon I had in one of my churches. We were sitting at a men's breakfast, and they were passing the plate at the men's breakfast to help pay for it. And when the plate came by, he threw a $10 bill in there, and he wanted to get some change out, you know, because 10's a little high for a men's breakfast. And a preacher beside him reached over and slapped his hand and said, what you give it to the Lord, don't take back. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When it crosses the threshold, it belongs to Jesus. Whether he wants them or not, Jesus owns the pews of this church. Whether he wants them or not, he owns the TVs that are hanging on the wall. If he wants to or not, he owns the carpet that's on the floor. Amen? It all belongs to Jesus. Doesn't belong to me. Doesn't belong to you. If your family gave it, bless God. I'm glad they were obedient to the call of God to give. But it now belongs to Jesus. Amen? And when we forget that, can I just be honest and frank? And I told you it's going to be a hard message today. And I'm trembling in my, my shoes. And you can probably tell the difference this morning. But when we forget that, what happens is the church becomes a battleground for control. We begin to decide who is going to make the decisions around the church. And we begin to argue and bicker about who gets to make the decisions. Is it the pastor? Is it the deacons? Is it the members? Is it the one who gives the most money to the church? Is it the one who's at every event? Who gets to make the decision? Is the one with the biggest family in the church? Who gets to make the decision? We begin to argue and bicker and, and fuss. The other prominent thing that I've read that happens is, is that not only does that happen, but a lot of times what happens is bullies begin to arise up in the church. You know, bullies are like on the playground. You remember on the playground? Anybody ever get bullied on the playground? Am I the only one? Listen, I didn't grow up. I didn't, I didn't get as tall as I was until I left for the Air Force. They put me in a stretch machine and stretched me. But until, until then, I was small, scrawny, big ears. That's what I had. They called me Dumbo at home. And so that's the way I was. And then when I went to school on the playground, I honestly, and a lot of people tell it as a joke, but I think I told you before, I honestly was picked on by a girl. Her last name was Rodriguez. And she used to pick on me all the time. She was taller than everybody else, you know, more mature than everybody else in her body. And she used to pick on me. I can remember one time on the school bus, I was riding on the school bus, the first time I ever really defended myself, some guy was plucking at my ears on the school bus. That happened all the time to me. 
Can I tell you, that's what bullies in the church do? Bullies in the church want to pick on the church. Nothing ever goes right to suit them. Never, never, everything has to go their way. If they don't go their way, they pitch a fit. They whine, they complain, they gripe. They're bullies in the church. Most of those people are what we would call passive-aggressive. That is, if I don't get it my way, then I'm going to make it hell in the church until I get my way. Amen? If we forget Jesus is in charge, and ultimately what's going to happen, listen, when that happens to us, when we forget Jesus is in charge, we may not begin battling for position. We may not have a bully rise up, but there is one certain thing that will happen, and that is that ministry will begin to cater to preferences over the Bible. And what we'll care more about is how can we keep the people we got than being obedient to what Jesus has told us to call, call us to do and to be. Amen? So that's what will be more, more important to us. Let's do all we can do to make everybody happy, to keep everybody, so we don't lose anybody. But here's the reality. When that happens, when we begin to act that way, what happens in reality is churches begin to lose people. Pastors begin to leave churches. They begin to enter into that place of decline or plateauing. Why? Because God is not going to bless that ministry. Because it is his church and he wants it done his way. Amen? So, let me share with you how's he doing it. Notice what Jesus said, I will build my church. So, the church belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to Mike Foreman. Amen? Thank God it doesn't. (laughs) Thank God it doesn't. I'm a human. I make mistakes. Amen? I fail often. I don't have it all together. And if you've been listening to me for 10 years since I've been your pastor, you know I don't have it all together. And I don't mind telling you I don't have it all together. The problem is when you're vulnerable as a preacher sometimes, people will pick on you because you don't have it all together. They think that you're opening yourself up for attack. I'm not trying to open myself up for attack this morning. I'm trying to tell you that don't think you got it all together either because you don't. You don't. And so listen to what he says. I will build my church. How then is Jesus growing the church? That's the second point. He'll build the church. How is he doing it? Well, the, the book of Acts is that record. The book of Acts is, that, as I told you, it's, a, it's that record from the inception, from the, from the beginning of church, the birth of the church, to how Jesus is growing his church. And, and if you want sort of a, a model, if you want something to hang your hat on this morning, then all you got to do is read Acts 1-8 and you begin to find out how that book's divided, right? Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses where? Starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outer parts of the world. Listen, what Jesus gives us in building his church is he starts in Jerusalem and then he moves out to Judea and then he moves out to Samaria. Then he moves to the outermost parts of the world. Listen to me. That's the subject matter of Acts. is showing us how Jesus is building his church brick by brick, person by person. He is building his church throughout the world. And by the way, he's still in the building business today. Yeah, amen. Right time this time. Amen. (laughs) And I want you to know something, that when Jesus talks about growing his church, if you read the rest of that text in Matthew, what does he say? Not even the gates of hell will prevail. That is, we're pushing the gates back. The gates can't come. You don't attack with gates. And we're pushing the gates of hell back. Praise God, every person that hears the gospel and is born again and brought into the church, the gate's been pushed back. That's what it's about. Amen? That's what it's about. So how is Jesus keeping his promise and growing the church? Can I tell you there's only one way? 
There's one primary way. You ready for it? It's so profound. And it blows my mind, but when you read the book of Acts, it's prominent. Here it is. You ready? The gospel. The gospel. The gospel. The gospel. Let that sink in this morning. The primary way Jesus is building his church is the gospel. What do I mean by the gospel? That is the good news. The fact that our Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and bore your sin as a substitutionary atonement for you because you deserve hell. You deserve separation from God. You didn't deserve to be spiritually awake. You deserve to be spiritually dead. But Jesus would go to the cross and he would bear all your sin in his own flesh. He who no sin, who knew no sin became sin for you. And he would die on that cross. The darkness would come and his father would turn his face. And he would do all that in order to redeem you to himself. And the Bible says on the third day he rose from the dead. There is no greater gospel. There is no Jesus plus. It is Jesus only. And what he has done for you, no one else has ever done for you. Nobody ever will do for you. And I tell you what we ought to be doing this morning. We ought to be getting in all of God and we ought to be thanking God through the Lord Jesus Christ that he redeemed us and he called us to be his children. That he even allows us to be part of his body this morning is a tremendous miracle. Amen. And we ought to be shouting, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, that you would die for me, that you would raise from the dead for me, that you would allow me to be part of the church, even though when I got up to be a part of a church, I messed it all up sometimes. Amen. Thank God that he allows me to be his child and a part of the body of Christ. Jesus, day by day in the book of Acts, was sometimes adding. Listen, sometimes he was multiplying to the church. No wonder Peter would stand up and preach a gospel message in the book of Acts chapter 2, full of the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God didn't lead him to give a lecture. No, the Holy Spirit led him to preach the gospel. And that's why Peter later, I believe, would write in 1 Peter 1.23, listen to his words, you having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abide forever. No wonder Jesus his last words to his disciples. No wonder it would be to the effect of the great commission in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The primary way that Jesus is growing his church is through the gospel. Samuel Chadwick, a preacher of yesteryear, had his difficulties. He, he suffered in a church that didn't like him. He suffered in a church that didn't like the church to grow. He suffered in a church where in that time and day in England, they had actually gates at the end of pews where they could lock them. And one day he came to church and there were so many people coming in, poor people and other people. The church didn't like it. And so when he came to the church, they had locked the gates to the pews. The people couldn't sit in the church because the pews were locked. And what did Samuel Chadwick do? He preached the gospel. And he wrote these words. Listen to what he says. Samuel Chadwick, if God is at work week by week raising men from the dead, there will always be people coming to see how it is done. You cannot find an empty church that has conversion for its leading future. What is it about? 
Jesus is growing his church by the gospel. Now the gospel, listen, the, the gospel that saves, right? It's the gospel that has power. Paul said that. It's the gospel that, that we ought to base everything we do on. It's about the gospel. That's how he's doing it. But can I just be frank this morning? There's another way he does it. And the other way is us. Do, do you realize that the mission of Jesus Christ was to come and to seek and to save that which is lost? That was his mission. That's not my words. That's his words. That's what Jesus said. He didn't come to be a miracle worker. He didn't come to be a great teacher. He didn't come just to be an example, although he is. Jesus himself said, the Son of Man has come into the world that he may what? Seek and save the lost. Do you realize that Jesus left here, but he left us to complete the mission? Do you realize that his mission continues on through the gospel preaching that he does through you and through me? That, that you and I ought to be the vessels by which we go forth into the world and preach the gospel. We are the ones who are to be seeking and saving the lost. Not that we save anybody, but it's the gospel that saves. But the mission that Jesus had ought to be the mission of the church. To go and to seek, to sa- seek and save the lost. That means taking the gospel everywhere. To work, to school, to the grocery store, to the dry cleaners, to my neighbors, to my family. We take the gospel everywhere. We're not living in a culture anymore, ladies and gentlemen, where which the church is the center of the community. The church is no longer the center of a community. People are not going to come to church because that's the acceptable thing to do anymore. No, people will only come to church by invitation. But most importantly, people are not going to come to Jesus unless you and I get engaged and involved in their lives. That means I have to build relationships. Should that surprise us? What did they accuse Jesus of? They said, your master, your, your supposed Christ. What is he doing? He's eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's at Simon's house, not Peter, the other Simon. He's at Simon's house. And a woman comes in and anoints his feet. And she's wetting his feet with her tears and wiping her. And he's thinking in his mind as a Pharisee. If he'd only know what kind of woman she was, he'd be telling her to get lost. And Jesus had to teach that guy a lesson, didn't he? He said, Simon, I came into your house. You gave me nothing to wash my feet. But she hasn't stopped washing my feet and drying with her hair since she came in. I'm here to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. The church needs to get on the move. Amen? The church needs to be on the move. Because if you and I want to be relevant, not just about having drums in the church and guitars. It's not about having all these TVs and good air conditioning, although I see some people fanning this morning. Can I tell you, if you want to be relevant as a Christian, if you want to be relevant as a church, we got to get back to good old-fashioned preaching the gospel. And that's not meaning every Sunday morning I come out here and preach a gospel message does mean every Sunday I go back to the cross, just like Charles Spurgeon said. Every sermon goes back to the cross. And I'll give a gospel invitation until I die. I'm not going to buy into this not doing that in the end of a service. But so should you. We've got to quit looking at the preacher. We've got to quit looking at the staff and saying, well, what's our outreach program? 
you're our outreach program. Amen? You're our outreach program. You're to go into the world and tell. And when we get into the book of Acts, you'll see that's exactly what was happening. The church was on the move. It wasn't sitting still. Listen, folks, you pray over the next few weeks. God wants to talk to us. God wants to speak to us. But we have to understand if we're going to be a first Baptist church, Little Plains is going to be his church. We need to understand it's his. Take your hands off and give it to Jesus. Take your hands off and give it to Jesus. The second thing is we have to understand he is going to grow it by the gospel. So I take my hands off and say, God, it's yours. It's not Mike's church. It's your church. But then it's about the priority of gospel preaching, not from the pulpit, but through our lives. And you realize, right, that when we go through the book of Acts, we're going to find some times where that gospel preaching was not backed up with holy living. And as a result of that, there's some people who died. That's scary to me. And I'll tell you what, it was scary to that church too. It says that they all fell in awe and fear, trepidation before God fell on that church. Let me tell you, it's not about us living any way we want to live. It's about us living holy. Because what? Jesus is holy. And if I'm here finishing his job, if I'm here being tacked on to the task that he has given me to go ahead and preach the gospel to the world, if I'm supposed to be about his business of seeking to save the lost, then don't you think I ought to be like Jesus when I do it? Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.